Hey, I'm Peter Medlin, and you are listening to Teacher's Lounge from WNIJ. And if this is your first time hearing our show, I've got tremendous news for you. It's based on a really simple idea that we've all had teachers in our lives who helped shape who we are or taught us something beyond the curriculum. And every educator we have on this show whether a teacher or a coach or professor is nominated by the folks who listen. So we want you to be a part of this show with us. You are a part of this show with us. So please tell us about the educators who've inspired you and the folks in your community who deserve a spotlight, whether you had them years ago or yesterday. Email us with your nominations and story ideas at teacherslounge at niu.edu. This week, we've got Evelyn Cassano on the show. She's an adult education instructor at Wabanzi Community College, and she teaches students from 17 to 70 years old about everything from digital literacy to English language acquisition. Our students come to learn for a wide range of reasons and bring a range of life experiences to her classroom. And it's not just Spanish speakers learning English. Last year, students speaking 45 different languages came into their English language courses. Last spring, I had a student from Ukraine and I I was doing my homework. I was watching YouTube videos. I was learning how to, don't ask me how to say anything now because I wouldn't do it any justice. But I do, I I study and I want to learn even just how to say hello, how are you in their language, just to help make them feel comfortable. And it helps that Evelyn also has a unique education journey. She's been a community college student, a transfer student, a grad student, and an adult learner coming back to education later in life. We hear about that journey and about embracing her students' experiences and culture and so much more coming up. Okay, so before our conversation with Evelyn, we have a few education stories we want to share about a topic that doesn't get nearly enough attention, truancy. More than one in five students in Illinois were chronically truant last year. That means they missed over 5% of the school year without a valid excuse. And I got to learn more about how schools are trying to move away from a punitive truancy system, trying to find the root causes instead. It's illegal for Illinois school districts to refer students to local law enforcement to be punished with a fine for truancy. The law changed back in 2019, but not every school stopped. Last year, an investigation from ProPublica and the Chicago Tribune found that Illinois schools have still issued over a thousand truancy tickets since. And in a few northern Illinois districts, police have issued dozens of truancy tickets worth hundreds of dollars. In Mendota, students have paid $100 truancy tickets as recently as this May nearly four and a half years after the state prohibited the practice. Mendota police have written students 45 truancy tickets since 2019, according to public records obtained by WNIJ. Denise Onbau is the superintendent at the Mendota Township High School District. I agree with the full intent of it that it is not in the best interest of a student to have additional fines and fees laid uh-huh. upon them, uh, you know, especially from a school district. She says because they have a school resource officer working in the building, they're not technically referring students to law enforcement. Onbaugh says their resource officer is part of their truancy review meetings and might issue tickets on their own, but she says they're making a concerted effort to stop. This past year, fewer than 10 tickets were issued, and she hopes to make it zero this year. Police in Streeter issued 25 truancy tickets in the 2021-22 school year, but cut it to zero last year. 
Bo Doty is the assistant principal at Streeter Township High School. And despite the fines, he says the truancy system has become much less punitive. When I first started in this position, you had judges that would actually put kids in detention home because of truancy. Now school districts are required to exhaust as many interventions as possible to help truant students before there's any punitive action like suspension, expulsion, or court referral. In Streeter, they've hired a full-time truancy mentor to help facilitate those interventions. Her name is Sarah Price, and every day she scans attendance reports to see who made it to school. And once a student reaches a certain number of absences, her role kicks in. She sends letters home, visits families, and she says they also have a weekly truancy intervention group to try to get students back on track. And for those who fall far behind because of truancy, the school also has an alternative program housed inside the high school. It's a separate classroom with their own teacher who helps guide them through online credit recovery. 10 or 12 kids graduate last year that probably wouldn't have graduated if they weren't in our program. Samantha Holm is the Director of Student Services for the Regional Office of Education covering 29 school districts across LaSalle, Marshall, and Putnam counties. And part of their work involves truancy. And Holm started as a truancy officer, and she says they act as a mediator between school districts and families. School districts will make a referral to our office. We have the discretion to either take the referral or kick it back and say this doesn't meet criteria for truancy. Last year, Holm officially served 120 truant students on her own, and she started her days stopping at houses and waiting with kids at their bus stop to make sure they got to school. We reach out to families, try to get to the bottom of what that issue is. Is it mental health challenges? Is it bullying? Is there poverty? A lot of the families that are referred for truancy live at or below the poverty line. They can request parent-teacher conferences, refer out to school social workers or the Youth Service Bureau for counseling. Holman Price both say there's a youth mental health crisis. And the regional office also helps with other issues, too. They drop off gas cards for families experiencing transportation challenges that can cause truancy. Holm says it's been a major shift to discourage schools from sending students to get fined or referred to the state's attorney office to juvenile court. Punishment doesn't work and we need to find some practical solutions and do what we can to help as much as possible. The youth mental health crisis and academic struggles stemming from the pandemic aren't going away anytime soon. But Holmes says there's plenty that school districts can do to help truant students and their families. They can show students the cost of missing out on school and not just the cost of a fine. And for our second truancy story, what happens when students miss a lot of school without a valid excuse? Some students find themselves tangled up in truancy or educational neglect court. And I got to learn more about what that can actually mean for families. A few years ago, Darwin says it was hard to picture a future for themselves. It's an upsetting thought for anyone, let alone someone just barely starting high school. I'm just gonna, I guess, work and work until, like, you know, I have nothing left. It was a really hard time. Their grandmother was very sick, their mother was struggling with mental health issues, and then the pandemic hit. And Darwin was pretty much on their own for nearly a year without a parent providing food for them. And they had missed a few hundred days of school dating back to middle school. In the beginning, the reason why I myself chose not to go to school was because of a certain family member that would me. They would go to school regularly for a month or so, 
Then things at home would take a turn again. At some point, they missed so much school and were so behind on assignments, it just felt like there was no chance they'd catch up. So what's the point? The school offered tutoring, but they had no ride to get there. Darwin's case started off in family court, but was eventually transferred to truancy court. Megan Hawkinson is the director of at-risk student services at the Regional Office of Education covering Boone and Winnebago counties. And she has a team of attendance interventionists, and they also refer students to the state's attorney's office for educational neglect and truancy cases like Darwin's. Truancy is a symptom. Maybe 1% of the cases are kids that just don't care, like don't want to go to school. There's almost always some sort of underlying issue. Truancy typically involves older students, while educational neglect focuses on a parent or guardian not providing education to their younger child. It's her team's job to peel back the layers and to find those underlying issues. Like an onion, you might peel back one problem and discover another. A housing issue might have an addiction or domestic violence issue hidden underneath. Across two counties, Hawkinson has 800 kids on her caseload, but less than 10% end up in court. Most get resolved quickly, but she sits in court every other week, answering education questions from the judge and giving a report on what the child's attendance has been like since the last time they were there. Not every county refers students to court this way, but Hawkinson says Winnebago tries to be proactive in getting them back in the classroom. Every student in a truancy case is appointed a guardian ad litem. They're an attorney who is supposed to act in the best interest of the minor, as opposed to a lawyer simply representing a client. Stephen Whitmore is a guardian ad litem for the Winnebago County Juvenile Courts. I have the entire educational and truancy call, and then I also have other abuse and neglect cases that also happen to occur in my courtroom. Sometimes the two cases bleed together. He currently has 300 cases, 200 in abuse and neglect, and 100 in truancy. Whitmore says Winnebago County has the second highest volume to Cook County. By the time a youth makes it into his courtroom, they've already had at least three attempts at a meeting, as well as a home visit by the truancy interventionist. Whitmore does home visits too, and he says he deals with a lot of school-based anxiety, especially with the pandemic. And the judge is often able to order counseling or for the parent to request an individualized education plan evaluation for their child. I wish there was more access to counseling for kids who are struggling. We run out of counselors very quickly. In a vast majority of cases, the child stays with their parent. That wasn't the case with Darwin. The judge was able to put Darwin into the care of their older cousin who adopted them this year. It took over a year, but Darwin was able to move in permanently and switch school districts. It was a big challenge, but they had more support this time. And now they're going into their senior year of high school and after a lot of summer school and credit recovery, are on track to graduate on time. You will cry, you will get pissed, and you will have all these emotions like coming at you and you will have no idea what to do. Well, really, it's a lot easier than the things you just have to believe. The truancy court process worked out for Darwin, but it's stressful. Some cases take years. And although they had some helpful social workers and truancy officers, their adoptive mom says many people at their old school didn't take the time to really understand why Darwin was missing so much school. And if people there had taken more of an interest in finding out that Darwin's basic needs weren't being met, they might have gotten back on the path to success even sooner than they did. All right, now it's time for my conversation with Wabanzi Community College adult education instructor, Evelyn Cassano. Born and raised in Aurora. Um, east, I'm a top cat, grew up on the east side of Aurora, uh, youngest of eight kids. And then when I graduated from college, came back to town to get a job. 
I was hired at, in West Aurora School District. So I spent 15 years teaching uh, in West Aurora. Yeah, and you taught elementary school, and now you teach adult education, which I have to imagine, extremely different. <laughs> it is extremely different, and I love them both. Um, like I said, 15 years in elementary ed was fabulous. Uh, I spent most of my years teaching fourth graders. Um, and then once I had my kids, I decided to stay home with the boys. And once they were in middle school, I, I felt like I needed to get back in the classroom. I really missed it. But they were busy. And so I was looking for something part time. And the job at Wabansi opened up and I applied and I've been there since 2019. Really? So adult education wasn't even something necessarily that you kind of stumbled into this a little bit. I did. I did. Uh, a friend of mine told me about the job and I thought, boy, I've never worked with adults in that capacity. You know, of course, as a classroom teacher, you interact with parents and the staff and administrators, but teaching adults, um, that was very new to me. and it is. It's amazing and it's rewarding. I teach in the English language acquisition department. And so I get to work with people from all over the world and help them learn English. How long did it take you to adjust to, even though you know that you're not, you know, teaching 10 year olds anymore, but like in those first couple, just in terms of like tone and cadence of the way that you talk to people when you're teaching, right? Like I have to imagine there was an adjustment period there. There is a big adjustment. When I'm talking to my colleagues, I still say my kids, you know, right. I mean, they're adults, but I still <laughs> refer to them. They're my kids. Um, so, yeah, there is. Yeah, it was a learning process. Um, I'm still learning, but they just the group, the adults that I work with, they're just they're there because they want to be there and they're eager to learn and they appreciate everything. So it, it just fortunately, it's worked out for me. Yeah, and it's such a different relationship, right? Like having kids in the classroom versus teaching people that are in their, you know, 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s or whatever. Those people are bringing so many different life experiences and family situations and so much into the classroom. Absolutely. They absolutely are. And and that's what I love about it, yeah. because they do have all these experiences. And I have learned so much from them. Mm. And some of the challenges and some of the reasons why they're here. I mean, some of the stories are, are really heart heartbreaking and inspiring at the same time. But it, yeah, it's very different from from my fourth graders in elementary school. Yeah, I bet that you. it's like a different kind of satisfaction that you get from teaching that versus elementary school a completely different kind of satisfaction. But they're there to learn, you know, just like my kids, my fourth graders were there to learn and, and they're eager. And, and like I said, that appreciation for learning and the fact that, listen, they're they're there because they want to be there. My fourth graders, they have to be there. <laughs> so that, that, that was a little difficult. It's a, it's a little more difficult, but um, again, rewarding. Yeah. And I love it. 
And you were mentioning that like you teach as a part of adult education, you're specifically in English language acquisition, which is, you know, people that are coming from all over the world that are there to to learn English and do English language conversation and stuff like that. I don't know if you know this. I actually last fall got to go to one of those classes for a story that I was working on. So I actually have been in one of the class and like it was, the thing that amazed me, Avalon, honestly, the thing that blew my mind was that there were people in that class that told me that they had been in this, like, English language conversation class for, like, three weeks. But, like, saying that to me in perfect English, and I'm like, how is it possible that you've only been in this class for three weeks and you're this good? It was incredible. But, yeah, I remember talking to people from, uh, you know, all over the place, from Brazil, from, I, I think, I, I definitely talked to some people that were uh, from Ukraine, too, just all over the place. Oh, yeah. Let's see. I think was it last school year, we had students from countries um, that represented 45 different languages. And we are seeing an increase in numbers from students from uh, Venezuela, Guatemala, Ukraine, Russia, and a big increase of minors from Central America. So 16 and 17 year olds that are here, a lot of them are on their own. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So we are... Our numbers have increased, and again, it just the variety, the div- diversity in our population, it just keeps increasing. So, yeah, I get. I remember at the time too, there were some headlines about it that, like, I think last fall that the like adult education at Wubanzi like more than doubled the enrollment. So there's like it. It seems to be something that's getting even more like popular. It is, and you know what? We're also noticing, you know, uh, during the pandemic. We saw that that digital divide and, um, you know, what is it, about 28 million Americans lack the digital literacy skills that they need just to basic digital literacy skills. So I also teach a basic uh, digital literacy class, but, you know, our students, so many of them, they're at, they have to overcome two obstacles because not only do they have to learn English, but now they have to learn how to use a computer and how to use the mouse and how to turn it on. And, and so um, there are many obstacles there. And I'm very passionate about using technology in my classroom because I feel it, it's a disservice if we don't yeah. for our students. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I saw that you were a member of like the Illinois Digital Learning Lab. Very passionate about it. And I just think, um, again, it's a disservice to our students if we're not using technology to help them develop the skills that they need in the workforce. I mean, it's everywhere, you know, a doctor's appointment, healthcare, education, wherever you go now, technology is exists and our students need to know how to manage that. Yeah, is that the kind of thing that you guys do in the classroom for, for those digital literacy classes? Is just like very practical purposes of here's how you do this if you want to schedule a doctor's appointment, things like that? Yeah, well, in the, in the classrooms, teachers all use integrate technology right. in their lessons as well. Mm-hmm. And then um, we do have two different levels of technology classes. So a basic, very beginner one, like introduction to the internet, to the computers, and then one that's a little bit more advanced that would help them with how to use a spreadsheet, how to create a presentation. So we do offer the different levels uh, of classes for our students. Yeah. I, yeah. So in, you do that along with the English language acquisition. Was that something that you did when you were teaching elementary school too? Did you teach Spanish in that capacity too? 
I did not. Oh, really? I, I never did. Um, in elementary school, it was just an English class. Um, but I technology, I was always passionate about that back in, oh, oh gosh, <laughs> it's a long time ago when I was teaching. Yeah, we'll say a while. And we'll say a while. Yeah. I, I was, yes, a while. <laughs> I was uh, teaching and I was able to take two of my students to Springfield, to the Capitol for a technology conference back then. So I, I've always been passionate about technologies. And I just think we need to provide like equitable educational opportunities uh, to ensure that all of our students, all the adult learners have the tools that they need to successfully navigate our digital world. Right. And again, it's so interesting because like when we talk about adult education, it is something that you get so many different people, so many different experiences and like ages too, right? Like you have people, I don't know what the range is, but I have to imagine it's, you know, people like you said that you guys have people that are unaccompanied, that are minors, that are 16, 17. And then how how old of students have you had in those classes just beyond 70s or? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. In their 70s, for me personally, I, yeah, in their 70s, 16, the, yeah, in the 70s, wide range, wide range of experiences. Um, but that's what I love about it. Yeah, and like I, I remember that being something that I thought was really cool during when I was going to community college, just any classes, is that there was more of a variety of of generations and ages in the classroom and, and having you know, getting to interact with people of all different kind of ages is a pretty unique thing in education doesn't always happen. So it's really cool when you do get that chance. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I, I remember, like I was saying, I, I went to the English language acquisition class last fall and it was, it was so funny too, because I was thinking about it even from my own perspective where like, again, like all of these people that, you know, I'm sure had, you know, some of them had taken English classes, you know, in, you know, if, if they were, I think there, I talked to uh, a guy that was from Bolivia that he was like, yeah, I had taken a few English classes, like when I was in school, but it's been a while. But everyone, even after like, again, being in the class, like a month was so adapted, so skilled in like English language conversation that I was like, Oh my gosh, I really need this, but for Spanish, like I need to be in one of these oh, right. classes. Right, the opposite. Because <laughs> I'm like, I, I I need this type of conversation environment for myself. But yeah, it was it was really cool. I, I remember specifically there was there was one conversation that I had with with one of the guys in the class that was talking about. I think it was the word choir that he was like, this makes no sense that there's not a, <laughs> it makes no sense that there's not a W in this word. How how why are you pronouncing it this way? And I'm like, you know what? That's a really fair point. I have to give you that one. <laughs> the questions they have like that are amazing sometimes. And it's true. You're right. You have to say that's a fair question. And sometimes, you know, I just don't know why <laughs> this is how we have to pronounce it. But mm -hmm. I love that you were there. Yeah. How do you like approach going into there? I, I assume that everyone is, does everyone start off at a similar level of like, of, I guess, just like English language skill when they come into the class? Or do you have people at, at various skill levels that are in the same environment? Yes and yes. So you have, <laughs> we all students are tested right. in the beginning. And so once uh, we have the results from their testing, then they are placed in a class depending on their test scores. So I teach the very beginner level class. Um, and my students are basically at the point where they are learning just alphabet, basic greetings, um, 
basic, uh, what do I want to say? Just talking about shopping in American currency. And so we start at the very beginning and then the students are able to progress. So our classes are 16 weeks. Um, and then once they finish our, our first part of my class, then they'll move to the second half before they're able to go on to the second level then. And so, yeah, so we have a variety of levels, but even within my own class, there's still, even though they're in the basic book one, there's still many students uh, whose levels vary. So, you you know, you work on that and that's good though, because a lot of times the ones that are maybe might know might be a little bit more advanced could help those whose skills are a little bit more limited and who are not as proficient in English. Does that answer? Yeah, no, absolutely. And I'm, okay. and I'm sure people come into that class and are joining your class for all sorts of different reasons too, right? Like whether it's a job-related thing or just the cultural-related thing, I'm sure you get all kinds of, of reasons why people even want to be in that class. Oh, so many of them are there yeah, because of work. Yeah. Um, they just a better way of life. They left their country to come here and they need to, they want to help send money back home. Um, some people just want to be able to have more conversations with people in their neighborhood. Um, many different reasons why. Yeah, it, which is still though, I think it's still really nice too that for, you know, again, for people that are, especially that aren't from the area that have moved here from like a different country and Spanish is their primary language, that that is obviously, you know, really hard. But also I remember talking to people about how like, it's, it's actually nice to be in Aurora though, where there is a large population of Spanish speaking people. I think that, I think that East Aurora High School at this point or this East Aurora School District is like 88% Hispanic. So like there is a lot of places that you can feel really comfortable speaking Spanish as you're, you know, learning and as you're doing all that. Absolutely. But some of my students also tell me that's also a disadvantage oh, really? because then they're not, they don't have anyone to practice English with. That's true. <laughs> because they're at home, everyone's speaking Spanish, they go to work, they get to speak Spanish there. So they're not practicing as much as they would like to. Yeah, that is, that's, that's fair. Yeah, it's, it, you can almost get comfortable in it, right? <laughs> right. And, and it's, you know, you have to take, take a risk and take chances and practice. You know, and if they don't have anyone around them to practice with, then it makes it just a little bit more difficult sometimes. Yeah. And then we, I mentioned that that you, you know, taught elementary school for 15 years before you went into this position at Wubanzi. In general, I was curious about just like your, your teacher origin story here. Was, was teaching always something that you wanted to do back since you were a kid? Or was it something that came to you a little bit later on? Oh my gosh, I was probably seven years old and I told my mom that I wanted to be a teacher. I just loved it. I would play school with kids in the neighborhood. I always had to be the teacher. Oh yeah. Yeah, we, 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 we get that story a lot. It's either other kids, yeah. you either rope other kids with it or if not, you just like teach yes. stuff to animals or something. <laughs> I would make math worksheets, you know, just addition facts because I, I could not teach math right now. <laughs> We'd have art class and, and story time. Um, and I... I always said that. So my mom always tells the story that I did. I always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. What do you think it was? Did you have a teacher when you were early in elementary school that you really loved? Do you have like teachers in your family? Like, how do you think you fell in love with it? 
I just feel really lucky. I, I think that I have been, I've had so many wonderful teachers, elementary school, middle school, at Wabansi and college, um, mentors and, and my family. I just feel like I've been surrounded by, by just really good examples of, of teachers. Uh, one of my favorite teachers was uh, my third grade teacher. And I loved her because she would just read to us. And I feel like she played a pivotal role in my, and ignited my love for reading. Uh, she would read to us after lunchtime. And she got me hooked on Beverly Cleary and Ramona and all the Ramona books. Um, there was a book I would check out from the library called The Ghost on Windy Hill. And Solid I would title. read that book over and over. If I was lucky, I'd get to go to the bookmobile. And it was the best the bookmobile. ever, just surrounded by all the books. And I, I loved it. And, and looking back, when I think about that teacher, I, I feel like she wasn't just teaching us to read. She was teaching us the power of imagination and empathy and understanding that comes when you immerse yourself in a story. So she influenced me a lot. And I think uh, that's one of the reasons why I have a passion for reading and for learning uh, because of her. The bookmobile. And then the, the bookmobile. Do you know what a bookmobile? Do they still have bookmobile? I don't know if they still have, I, I know of, I've heard of a bookmobile, but I want to make sure we're talking about, like, what, what did that look like for you? <laughs> oh, gosh. I feel so old. <laughs> a big box. They do still have them. Yeah. You go to the Award Public Library, maybe they're in their parking lot, but it, it, was, it looked like a great big bus. And you could go in a few kids at a time. So I would anxiously await my turn. I'd have my library card and I'd wait to be caught. And they let maybe, I don't know, five, six kids in the bookmobile at one time. And there's just shelves, just bookshelves. And uh, you get to walk in there and it's it's just such a great cozy feeling. And you get your books and you check them out. It, yeah, the bookmobile, really. I hope it still exists. Peter. No, I'm, I, 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 I hope it still exists. That's awesome. I wish that I would have had a bookmobile. I, I'm going to need you to find one. You have to experience it. You won't be sorry. No, oh, I, I think that you, they should let you be like the honorary conductor of the bookmobile at least once. I think that you've earned that at this point. That would be awesome. That was, uh, yeah, one of my favorite things about school. But again, other than and other than my teachers, which again, there have been many, but my third grade teacher stands out a lot. But my parents, I think, uh, my, my parents had a big influence. Uh, education was important. They didn't have the opportunities that I have. And uh, they made sure that we took advantage of every educational opportunity that we could. And um, they also instilled a deep appreciation of learning. And I think, so I'm the youngest of eight. Wow, youngest of eight. I'm youngest of four, and I think that's overwhelming sometimes, but just yeah. double it. How, what's the ratio? How many girls and how many boys? Six girls, two boys. Oh, wow. See, I'm youngest of four, but all four boys. Oh. But six girls, that's that's fascinating. Six girls. And, and my, my siblings were always there, and... I needed help with homework, they would proofread assignments or help me with the science project. And so I felt like I had many teachers at home too as well. So I think 
my teachers, my parents, and my siblings all had an impact on my decision to become a teacher. Did you rope any of your siblings into when you were doing your teaching, when you were teaching other kids? Did you bring them into it too, or were they not having it? They didn't want anything to do with me, no. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's. It, I'm glad that you mentioned that your parents' influence, because I saw when I was researching for this too, that your dad, there's still a, a scholarship that's given out in your dad's memory, uh -huh. right? Yeah, yeah, my dad passed away 30 years ago. And after that, um, it's the uh, Puerto Rican Fraternal Order in Aurora uh, decided to create the scholarship in his honor. So he was one of the co-founding members of the organization. And to this day, we still participate and we help raise funds for the scholarship. And it's a big honor. It's a big honor. Like I said, it's been 30 years since his passing and uh, people still remember him and it's his legacy. Wow. That's must be really cool to be able to to revisit every single year. It it is. It is. It's it's very touching. And um I, I'm just fortunate that they continue with the scholarship after all these years. Yeah, absolutely. So your education journey kind of informs what you do now because you've been in, you've been a community college student, you've been a transfer student, you've been a grad student, adult education. Do you feel like having that perspective of being, you know, of coming to education in so many different like places and points of your life that, that helps a lot doing what you do now in adult education? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, I feel lucky. I, I, I've been able to wear so many different hats and take on so many different roles, like you said, as a student, as an elementary teacher, as as a parent with my my kids, you know, seeing what that was like once I had yeah. kids, the parent side of it, um, big difference, big, but just, I think I feel more well-rounded. Well, I've only got a couple more questions for you. One of the things I always like to end with is always like, what's something about this that you wish more people knew about? So I'll phrase it a couple different ways, you know, specifically with, you know, adult education, with English language acquisition, community college. So I guess I'll start off with what is something about adult education that you think is more important than people might realize or, or you wish more people knew about it? I think, you know, adults come to the classroom with their own unique backgrounds experiences and motivations, that creates a rich, diverse learning environment. Some of them come and they're, they've already been in school. They have their degrees. They need to learn the language. They're intelligent people. They're hardworking people. They're proud. Um, they bring a wealth of life experiences to the classroom. And I just, I want people to know how hard they work, that they, they're resilient, that they overcome challenges, and that they appreciate the education that they're receiving. They, they really do. There's respect and appreciation for the opportunities that they're given at Wabansi and in the English classes or computer classes or GED classes. Um, and I, I just want people to know that they're an amazing group of hardworking people who are here to learn and deserve every opportunity that that we can offer them. How do you, like all of those experiences that people are bringing in from you know uh, 
all their life experiences, when they bring that into the classroom, how does that manifest? You know, like how, how do you bring that into the classroom? Oh my God. Well, I think that we are able to, to learn from each other. I think all the, the diversity, all these people from all these different places, um, which just, I think we gain an appreciation and respect for each other as well. You know, not only does it impact learning, uh, but there's just so much more than just learning the alphabet or, or learning how to say the number. It, it just, gosh, I wish I'd, I could explain it better, but it has such a powerful impact yeah. in the class. And what's something about then specifically like English language acquisition that you wish more people knew about or, or think is more important than people might realize who've never been in a classroom like that? Oh, gosh. It's an honor to be able to, to teach in an English language acquisition classroom. Um, I feel it's my responsibility to create an environment for my students where they feel safe and where they feel welcome and supported. Um, these people have decided to leave their countries, they, their families. Some are here alone and they came with hardly anything. And so they have goals and they have dreams. And I admire and I respect my students because it takes a lot of courage to uproot one's life and start anew in a foreign land. So I personally, I am in awe of the determination and resiliency that I see in my students. I think it's a privilege to play a role in their journey towards English language proficiency yeah. and just supporting them in achieving these goals right. is an honor. Well, and yeah, you talk about how incredible it is to, to move to a new place with almost nothing, not knowing a language. And you know, talked about how you guys have people that are, you know, minors, they're 16 and 17 of how, you know, impossible of a task that is. And I know that the college has certain things for, you know, making, connecting people with, with services and things like that extra. Absolutely. Yeah. So many resources are available to them. And again, and not everybody who comes to us has that background, but many of them do. And, and uh, it's amazing. It's amazing. Whatever their story is, they're, they're in our classrooms. They're, they made their way over to Wabansi and we, we support them and do the best that we can to help them reach their, their goals. Right, because it's not, and again, it's not even like everyone that's coming into the English language acquisition is coming in there with Spanish being their you know primary or first language too. So it's got again, like I was in the class for like twenty five minutes, and I was already like you know like trying to absorb as much as possible of all of the fascinating perspectives that people were coming in with, whether again, it was, you know, someone that was a refugee from Ukraine or someone that was coming from Bolivia or Uruguay or something like that. But just like, it's got to be fascinating just to be able to try and absorb all that and, and connect with all of these different perspectives that you're getting from around the world in your classes. Absolutely. It, it is. It, it is. And I love the diversity. I am bilingual. I speak Spanish, so I, it's easier for me to 
you know, communicate with someone maybe from Colombia or Venezuela or Mexico. But uh, I love the challenge of of those whose first language is not Spanish and, and working with them that way. Do you feel like you get the chance to to learn a lot about other cultures and stuff? Oh, absolutely. I in it's great. I let's see. Last spring, I had a student from Ukraine, and I. I was doing my homework. I was watching YouTube videos. I was learning how to, don't ask me how to say anything now because I, I wouldn't do it any justice. But I do, I, yeah. I study and I want to learn even just how to say hello, how are you in their language, just to help make them feel comfortable. So I love the way you said about how like you'd like to at least know how to say hello in different languages. Right. Because I have been doing like Duolingo like, I've been studying Spanish for like a year and a half and I still like go into my favorite like Mexican restaurants and still like chicken out to actually like practice and talk to people. And I'm like, I just need to get over myself, you know? (laughs) That's it. And that's what I tell my students. You have to get, not not those exact words, but that's exactly it because they will, they, they will back out and they can do it. They're just like, oh, not ready to do it, but I get it. I get exactly what you're saying. But it takes so much more bravery for them, right? Because I can just then, if not, order in English in this place too. But they're going in there way more impressive for them to do it than, than for me to do it. It really is. But you're right. Sometimes we all just have to get out of our own way and take that chance. Is that something that you guys talk yeah. about in the class too? Is just like the social part of, of language and like, you know, doing all that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. They want to know, you know, we we talk a lot about just a lot of it is lack of esteem or confidence and, and they're nervous and they don't want to make a mistake. And they're just embarrassed. I mean, even with my mom, my mom's been here since what, the late 50s. And she still is, is nervous about speaking in English a lot of times and will have me translate for her, you know, when she's perfectly capable of doing it. So in class, we do talk about that. Like you do have to take that risk or take that chance or try, you know, just try. So, and again, it's difficult. A testament to their teacher though, right? Like then you are that person that is going to make them comfortable and, you know, have those conversations that they can build up enough to, to feel confident, you know, taking it out into the real world for a spin. I, oh, I hope so. I hope so. It, it's difficult. I get it. And it's a process learning any language, right? Yeah. It's- well, again, I only have like one more question for you, which is along the similar lines, which is what's something about, you know, community college in general that, again, you wish more people knew about or, or think is, is more important than people might realize? I think that Wobansi well, serves as a beacon of opportunity. Wobansi provides accessible and affordable education to individuals from diverse backgrounds by offering affordable tuition rates, financial aid options, and flexible scheduling. Wobansi breaks down barriers to education and empowers individuals to pursue higher education regardless of their financial circumstances. And this creates a more equitable society. You know, Wobansi's been around for what, at least? 50 years, yeah, I think. I think so, yeah. Right? Yeah. And it's deeply rooted in our community. I, I love that they collaborate with local businesses, organizations, and community leaders to address challenges and promote community development. 
For me personally, I'm proud to be a part of this institution. They transform lives, they strengthen the community, and they drive progress in our region. And I think that uh, Borneo Community College is a wonderful opportunity for so many people, so many people, not just the adults, but kids right after high school. Ansi is, is the place for them to be. Peter, thank you. This was awesome. Thanks for listening to Teacher's Lounge. As always, feel free to nominate a teacher in your life to be on the show. It's how we get all of our great guests like Evelyn. Please do send them our way to teacherslounge at niu.edu. Wherever you're hearing the podcast, please do subscribe, leave us a rating, share it. If you like what we do, best way to get even more perspectives on the show. You can subscribe to our Teacher's Lounge newsletter if you want to keep up to date with everything we're having to do with the show. You can find a link to do that over on the webpage at WNIJ.org. A big thank you to the Northern Illinois band Kind Ofs that you hear music from in every single episode of this show. Thanks to Spencer Tritt for making our Teacher's Lounge logo. And I have been your host, Peter Medlin, and we'll be back with more Teacher's Lounge very soon. See ya.